0: My, uh,
1: you may hear, I'm I'm trying to keep her quiet, but my dog may bark a little bit.
0: That's
1: fine. What's the dog's name? Sammy. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I am Sammy, serial podcaster, Yunnan. Okay, we are going dark for this episode, so please get ready. It's going to be like exploring a black hole as if it was a cave. Helter Skelter in American myth is like the last dance, but like for Charles Manson. And I know that's a terrible comparison, but it's accurate. It is a sociological and anthropological dig. It is archaeology to understand sociology. Like, It's a strange commentary on our endless fascination with true crime and serial killers. Like we know who the killers are. We know the son of Sam, we know Charles Manson, we know the Golden State Killer, but often we do not know who their victims are, right? It's all unbalanced and kind of backwards. Think about it. It's been four years since we visited Charles Manson in prison in Fincher's Mindhunter. And it's been two years since we witnessed the twisted Tinseltown terror of the Manson family in Quentin Tarantino's fairy tale, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's been less than a year when epics in America broadcast Helter Skelter in American Myth on July 26, 2020. That date was selected as it recognized it's been 50 years since the grisly murder of Sharon Tate, J.C. Bring and several others. The six-episode docu-series chronicles the Manson family history with the classic never-before-access interviews from former family members and journalists, coupled with archival footage and newly unearthed images. It's stunning. You know Leslie Chilcott as a producer on such documentaries as *An Inconvenient Truth and its sequel, as well as Waiting for Superman and It Might Get Loud. All oh, fantastic work this time for Helter Skelter. She's the executive producer and director behind this dramatic docu-series. In Canada, Helter Skelter premiered on February 11, 2021 on Hollywood Suite. Check out the on-demand channel. Highly recommended viewing. It prompts the obvious question, which is a good place to start. That could never happen today. Right? Right? Well... Well, that's a good place to start my conversation with Leslie Chilcott. Yeah, I was going to, like, I was going to obviously do an introduction after we finished talking, but, um, and I was going to do the, the okay. usual spiel where I was going to, like, you know, mention the fact that you're executive producer and you're director, but you also picked up a song performer credit for this, for Itsy Bitsy Spider.
0: Oh, that, yes, that one. Is, that that's was, a cool credit. Was. Yeah, well, I, I, I needed uh, something for when our young Charlie is playing the piano and I, you know, we wanted to pick a song that was in the public domain. So I just played it at home and then recorded it and sent it to my editor and then, um, you know, tried to play like a five-year-old, for example, mm-hmm. which is fine because I'm not, I don't play the piano anymore. So I naturally sound like a five-year-old anyway. Um, yeah. So that, that was just kind of a, a funny little thing.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, so we'll go from that funny little Thank thing to... Thank you for <laughs> noticing. Yeah. Uh, no, I thought it was cool. Like, um, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, we got to go from that funny little thing to this, like, serious, like, mass murder kind yes. of thing. Uh, I don't know how to segue <laughs> from that. Are you ready to kind of get into all this, uh, I guess, darkness, for lack I'm of ready. a better term? All right. Yeah. So uh, I want to start at an unusual place, because your docu-series, Helter Skelter... In American Myth, um, which is going to arrive now in Hollywood Suite in Canada, it's already aired in uh, Epics in the U.S. But um, one of the current political American debates is how much blame President Donald Trump should be assigned for the recent January 6th insurrection. Like it was his followers who stormed the Capitol building; he didn't. Just as was Manson's family, <laughs> who murdered Sharon Tate, right, and several others so having made this where you're going yeah so right so having made this docu-series where do you stand now in like personal responsibility accountability uh did the system let people down like where do you kind of stand on that whole uh not even just necessarily for the political spectrum but just in general
0: yeah Well, what i okay that's a very good question um what i did learn on this that that is like in terms of my personal journey that i thought what's interesting and somewhat surprising is it's very easy to look at something as horrific as the Manson murders and you know when we've all seen the clips with the girls singing and you know they 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 just look a little bit crazy and I think it's very easy to say oh I would never be that much under someone's influence you know that I would do something like that even if I was you know Uh, doing a lot of LSD and only 19 years old. And and I think part of the reason that the Manson family forever intrigues 50 years later, in addition to the obvious reason, they were very horrific murders that shouldn't have happened. But why of all the murders is this one of the most talked about? And I think it's because it's very hard to come to terms that one of those girls or guys could have been your neighbor or your cousin even. And you want to think it's because they're so crazy that they're out there. But before they got to that point, they were regular teenagers. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they were in a cult, you know, and you think, well, that couldn't happen today. But we, we have Nexium now and you have, you know, women in an elite group branding themselves, you know, for their cult leader. And that just happened a handful of years ago. So I think that there's, you know, there's like a playbook that these figures have. And 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 Charlie, even though perhaps he, he was one of the earlier ones, you know, he isolated his family. Um, there was a lot of sex that he controlled. He would alternate love with fear. He would treat life as if it was a game. They would dress up and role play. He gave them different names. So in essence, they were someone else. And then, you know, he would repeat his philosophies over and over and over again whether they were true or not. And so I think that while, you know, there were a lot of people in the family that didn't do any killing, um, but the ones that did, uh, and they should have never done it and was 100% wrong, but they were very, very much a part of the cult and under his influence. And before I did the series, it's so easy to be like, that would never happen to me. (laughs) Then I still would like to believe that would never happen to me. But when you look around and you see people falling under influential you know, the influence of of icons and especially being so isolated, you know, it does happen today. And it, it it's interesting it's interesting to look at. It's easy to say when you don't know the story, those are just crazy people. And then you see how day by day they were just driven further and further and further.
1: Yeah, I wanna pick up on that thread because I episode two, uh, the seed it details uh, Manson's background in West Virginia and his strange mother who went to jail for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then following that episode, episode six, uh, during his trial, he says a line, these children, he was talking about the girls, but uh, these children that come at you with the knives, they are your children. You taught them. I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. And so I don't know if this is terrible psychology, but like, when you look at the episode two, when you look at the details and the surroundings and the way that the system let him down and he was in all kind of like juvenile delinquent type of situations and things like that prisons and the the situations his mom was in as well too. Like, um, is he kind of right when he says like these children come at you with knives, you taught them like, was it, is this kind of like a, it's partly your docu-series like judgment on the system that we have created
0: I wouldn't say that necessarily. I, I mean, I follow your point, but I think episode two, you know, it, it's like, how do you empath, empathize with a spree killer, which is what, you know, Charlie was. And when you see, regardless of what he did, it is helpful to know that he did have a horrible childhood for a variety of reasons. And he was failed by the system. Now to take those failings of his upbringing and twist them and say that it's actually a reason for a group of people that only did something because he influenced them, I think he's taking it too far. I will say that, you know, if Charlie had had more care with his upbringing and there had been more psychological help, he may have turned out very differently. You know, he could could definitely shine a bright light when he wanted to he you know was a decent musician he could have gone in a very different direction
1: yeah the music I I had never really heard his music I knew that he was kind of a failed musician that's always been kind of floating around and even in the first episode there's about three or four songs that you play and a couple of them were like they're decent they're not like amazing or (laughs) quote-unquote hits but I was like right you know what I mean I'm like all right there's something there like but it's also kind of just lazy. Exactly. Right? But it's just lazy to say, like, you well, know, he, he failed at music, so I'm going to go off and start killing. Maybe that'll be my new claim to fame.
0: Yes. And a lot of people say that he went off the deep end because he was a failed musician. And I, I don't believe that. I think yeah. that his family was growing. He was... Uh, I'm sure it had something to do with it, but he was a leader of this of this cult. And cult leaders have to keep reinventing themselves. And so he just kind of blundered from one desperate act to the next. And, you know, the late 60s were, uh, there are many similarities to now. However, you know, people were doing LSD for the first time. There was an incredible amount of racism and racial racial tension, as there is now. And, you know, there was an unpopular foreign war. Um, there was an unpopular president. You know, so there there are a lot of parallels. But Charlie had a way of taking these, like, monstrous things about society and then retreat into philosophical ab- abstractions and then pretend that he had a vision you know for the future and that they were going to be the ones that were going to survive you know the the race riots or the apocalypse and live in the future and that's just delusional cult leader thinking
1: mm-hmm.
0: The reason that we were very careful about how much music we used and didn't use is you know we wanted to show that, You know these young kids they thought charlie might be a rock star at first and isn't he great and it all started out as like rock star crushes you know that when then went off the deep end and turned into something else but his music was a big part of his life when he was growing up when he was leading the family you know who weren't called the family at the time but we've called them that now and then even afterwards you know when he when he was in prison so he was actually quite a good lyricist maybe not a great musician but he had a decent voice and he was pretty good with the lyrics and 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 people wanted to be a part of that
1: yeah and that's why i was surprised like listening to the music i'm like like you said it's it's not bad like it's weird because it's all compounded now into the the manson family myth and the murders and everything like this so it's hard to kind of separate it properly but when you hear it you're like all right but you mentioned that a key word there, uh, reinvention, right? And I was wondering too, is like, yep. is that why the title is the American Myth? Cause is because this a reference to the lies and manipulation that Manson sold to his followers, or is it recognizing the various, I guess, conspiracy theories uh, that swirl around Manson, like the CIA asset and all these kind of things? Why is it called American Myth?
0: That's the exact question that I want. I wanted people asking themselves. One is that Helter Skelter was a book. Which is a fantastic book by Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecutor, but it's all told from the prosecutorial point of view.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the myth, so to speak, is it's a couple of things. It's 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 a lot of the lore that you just described, but it's also Manson is given this credit for being some kind of genius leader, manipulator of people, you know, and that he had this vision for the future and he was a mastermind criminal. That part is a myth. He literally was going from one paranoid blender to another, (laughs) you know, he was not this, they called him a bearded Spengali. I mean, he was not a genius. He was a really good salesperson, a really good con artist. Mixed in with that with some genuine feelings, like what's wrong with living on a commune outside of society and finding your own food for free and doing your own thing, you know, like, so there's, there's some things that were appealing to the 60s counterculture and the young people at that time. But for, for every member that came to live with him, you know, there were probably a dozen that he approached that, that wouldn't. So the the myth is that he had this total master plan, which,
1: which he didn't. So then is this an L.A. story? Because L.A. features prominently as well uh, in the docuseries, right? And L.A. is always about that thing of like, you know, Brad Pitt comes to L.A. and he only has $100 in his pocket. And and then now look at him. He's this big time movie star, right? So is it kind of also like an L.A. myth as well? I think it's definitely an L.A. story,
0: but that has more to do with the geography of it. You know, the whole thing took place here. Um, Manson came out here when he was quite young with his wife at that time and ended up in, you know, the bigger adult prison, you know, here at Terminal Island in California. And then there were all these trips to the desert, you know, where they were supposedly you know, looking for things buried in the desert that weren't there. And so it's a very Southern California story in in the latter part. In the beginning, of course, when Charlie got out of prison in Terminal Island, he went up to Northern California and rocked, you know, right smack in the middle of what was happening at Berkeley and then across the bridge over at Haight-Ashbury. So he was kind of formed there and he was really surprised about, you know, the free love and, the the gurus on every other corner, you know? And he's like, I I can do that. So it's a a California story in that sense, for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's hustling, too. You already mentioned, too, like some of the dumpster diving and things like that. We're going to live on a ranch, and it's this kind of utopia, right? So it's like it's a hustler.
0: Yes, yeah. And, And, you know, a lot of the ideas you know, before he kind of lost his mind and things went dark. I mean, those were those even weren't even his ideas, people were doing this, there were communes in all over California and Oregon and other states and this community living and why not live in a, you know, a society where everyone's free. And you know, if you don't have to, if you just have to work and get the minimal thing, or maybe you don't have to work that much. I mean, there's a lot of people that feel that way that you know, this day that these days, excuse me. So it all started out as you know, he was hoping to create this sort of sex-based utopia, right? Or even just a utopia. Mm -hmm. But then as the leader, he didn't, you know, he had to keep reinventing himself and there was no money. So then what are you going to do? How are you going to make your money? So it all went south very quickly.
1: So, I, I guess rather than asking you the traditional question of, like, why why would you make... Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've been kind of... Quentin Tarantino just put out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a uh, couple of, about four yep. years ago. Uh, Fincher's Mindhunter. I actually used the same actor uh, for Manson. Uh, he made a appearance in the first couple episodes of season two. So rather than ask you, like, the typical, like, why did you make this kind of question? Um, like, was your intent or was your hope that the more that we kind of talk about uh, Charles Manson, like... Does it kind of demystify them, like when you kind of cut the red wire of a bomb in a movie, right? It kind of it drains all the tension, and it's not a scary thing anymore now, and it's just kind of much more neutralized. Is that kind of a hope or intention as well, and for making? Uh,
0: yeah, um, that is. That's a yep. That's a good way of putting it. I mean, there has been you know so much stuff on Manson. But, you know, we had the 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 time, the six hours to do the deep dive and get away from the headlines. And a lot of a lot of shows inadvertently really glorified him, like I said, into this like mastermind leader. And I wanted to debunk him. You know, he conned a lot of people. Some people genuinely liked him, but there were a huge amount of people that didn't. And it was something that could have, you know, was very ripe for happening Right at the end of the 60s. But to give him all this credit, you know, like we should be talking more about the victims. And quite frankly, we should be talking about more important issues. There's all these people that have made him into this misunderstood guy, you know? Mm -hmm. And he had a horrible upbringing, and you can feel for him. I think when you watch episode two, you find yourself surprised because you're like I feel bad for Charles Manson, you know, but I mean, he was a kid, you know, and and all of these horrible things were going on, so you can see you can see what happened in that background. So I think what what I wanted to do was exactly what you said was to demystify the man, the leader of this family, you know, call him the spree killer that he was and knock him off of sort of that he's become an icon in a weird way. He's a murderer who's become an icon, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a much deeper anthropological dig. How could that happen in the late 60s? What was what was playing on the radio? What What was it like to be able to hitchhike all the time? Like, how could you just fall in with people like that? Well, because you were hitchhiking. But I wanted to go beyond the tabloid esque coverage that you see a lot and talk about you know, there was something very morally serious going on underneath this spectacle of of the family. Um, And so that's what we wanted to achieve with this. And quite frankly, you know, it, it sounds kind of strange, you know, after you do six hours that there's nothing else to talk about. There's always stuff to talk about. There were Manson family members that... Became famous years later, you know. So it, it's never going to be over. But we wanted to to demystify him and the story, and show that it was one thing after another that kind of spun out of control, and that he was a small con artist who just happened to, you know, be the leader of one of the most unspeakable murder tragedies in history.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a strange commentary. Like uh, our, I guess our fascination with two crime and serial killers. Like, we know who the killers are. We know Son of Sam. We know Charles Manson. You know what I mean? But we often do not know who the victims are. Right? And that's kind of like, it's it's almost unbalanced in a sense. You know what I mean? Those are the people, those are the families that got ripped apart and had to deal with it and had to deal with those horrors and things like that and process that. And but like we sit there and we figure we try to figure out why the killer did what they did. Well, how did they snap? Was it like was he a failed musician? Was he this? Was it that? And it's like we never ever focus on the the people that suffered through those things, through those crimes, and through those times. Right,
0: right. I think I think that's right. And I think that um, you know, it's there are family members that had nothing to do with the murders that are still paying for being associated with the family, you know, these days, you know, 50 some odd years later. And the other thing is, would we even be talking about Charles Manson? Because he wasn't a serial killer. It wasn't like Night Stalker or some of these other people that go on and on and kill people. You know, he, he did. He's he what's classified as a spree killer. And if it hadn't been some very famous and well-known people in Hollywood, would we even be talking about Charles Manson? And I think that's interesting to look at, too.
1: So how did you balance or what was the what was the internal debate like uh because you show some of the actual photos some of the grizzly crime scene uh photos uh I remember watching uh OJ Made in America a 2016 ESPN docu series and they actually showed yep. some of the um, scenes uh some of the blood and stuff from uh when uh the two people got killed uh OJ's ex-wife and her friend like so yeah it was quite shocking because I was like, you know, I'm just watching a sports documentary and I understood that, uh, that two people got killed. I understood it intellectually, but then when you suddenly see it jarred into this whole other scene, you're like, Whoa, Whoa, like it becomes a lot more real. And so what was the debate like for you guys trying to figure out like how much to show or not to show?
0: It's a, it's a good question. And I, I won't speak for the, for the other projects, but we only show one photo per victim. And we were very, we, we, we ended up editing that a bunch of different ways. And I don't believe in, you know, doing slow motion blood splatters and, and things like that, because these are, these are stories about real people, you know, in documentaries in this case. However, it's one thing to say the murders were brutal and there were, you know, 22 stab wounds. And it's another thing to see one photo of it. And we felt... If we didn't show it and it's done, I I won't say exactly how we did it here because because it hasn't run there yet, but we were very minimal and very careful about how we showed it. There's no music. There's no nothing. But at the same time, if you don't show one photo, then you might be letting the murders off the hook. They were very brutal. They were very bad crimes. And we're showing you how these people could have maybe been in the situation where they did that, but you need to see, you, you can't let them off the hook. You need to see what happened. And that's why that's, that's all we show is that one photo of, of each victim. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So that was, that was the philosophy behind it.
1: Yeah. No, the dropping the music too worked. Like, uh, as you mentioned just now, like, because now you're just alone with like, you're almost like a cop arriving at the scene. You know what I mean? And you're like, Oh my gosh! you're not yeah, you're not yeah. used to this,
0: and it's you still even though those people unfortunately have been dead a long time, I felt it was the most respectful way to do it without it's not up for a second longer than it needs to be in order for you to just see what happened, and then you you hear the, the description, but if we hadn't used it at all, then you don't get the gravity of how of how truly awful it was. And those acts are sort of, um, uh, I wouldn't say nullified, but they're, it would be letting them off the hook.
1: Yeah, because like I said, like, you know, you just hear like, you know, they killed J.C. bring, they killed Sharon Cher- Tate. Like you kind of intellectually know that. Because um, I grew up obviously after the 60s, right? I was born in the 80s, or late 70s, early 80s. So it's like, I grew up after, and so I know intellectually what they did. Right? right and you're like okay that's awful right. she was pregnant i'm like that's horrible yeah right? and so you yeah you can make the similar noises but when you actually see and like you said when you actually get the details of what they did you're like oh my goodness that's that's disturbing right and it moves you to that yeah. extra level of empathy and like uh, like it's a dark place to do that it is
0: and and some people have done recreations i just didn't think since we were doing this deep sociological and anthropological dig I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to show one photo of the real thing and, and that's it. Because we can't forget how you
1: know, horrible it actually was. Um, yeah, so um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where can people find you online to follow up on your work? Because you do a lot of different cool work. Uh, you've done Inconve- uh, Inconvenient Truth, It Might Get Loud, Waiting for Superman. Where can people find you online uh, to get more details on whatever you're working on next? Um, at Leslie Chilcott at Twitter and Instagram. That's it. Uh, thank you so much uh, for hanging out. And I Thank know-
0: you so much. I'm sorry we ended on a somber note.
1: Yeah, no, sorry, I know. I wanted to find a couple more fun questions, but it's hard with this subject area. But thank you so much. You did a great job uh, with this and also Waiting for Superman. Uh, I know you worked on that as well. So high five to, that, to you oh, and the team awesome. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. Thank you for your interest. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Have a good night.
0: (laughs) You too, Sammy. Take care.
1: Yo, as I said at the top, that was going to get dark. Oh, man. That was director Leslie Chilcott and Helter Skelter in American Myth is her docuseries. You can see it on Epics in the U.S. and now on Hollywood Suite in Canada. I am Sammy Hunan. Look, often when celebrities or famous folks like a former president or say MLK pass away, we eagerly participate in this ritual of reduction. We sand off the gruff edges, we gloss over their sins, and we reduce or even dilute their value and impact. MLK is basically down to greeting cards, like little sound bites, like... When his movement and his legacy and his life is so much more. It's so much bigger. It should be so much bigger. And then yet, oddly and every so often, we expand a famous folk's life. We've done this with Charles Manson. We've expanded his life and his legacy. When really we should have reduced it. His life has become a pop culture prism. From which we see a colorful spectrum of positions conspiracy theories, and true crime facts, a classic complicated American saga. I vaguely knew about the Manson murders. I obviously knew who Charlie Manson was, but I had no historical handle to pick it up. Leslie Chilcott's Helter Skelter is a fantastic historical handle, if you can handle it. It is the unsettling contextual reckoning of a dark moment in the so-called summer of love. It's like staring at a eclipse because it's not something that happens often. At least you hope it doesn't happen often. We know this. Accidents suck. We accept they're part of the cost for flights and self-driving cars because they make the experiences better. They make the experiences safer. You need to have accidents so you can understand what went wrong and make the necessary safety adjustments. Because of car accidents, we've added airbags and windshield wipers even seatbelts. These valuable items that we take for granted were not part of the original car designs. We've adjusted and learned from our mistakes. Even though those lessons tragically cost a lot of lives. When Leslie says in this conversation, it's easy to say, when you don't know the story, those are just crazy people. And then you see how day by day, They were just driven further and further and further. Yo, she's right. It is so easy to dismiss these people as crazy. Because that reduces the tragedy. This is a fascinating docu-series. I highly recommend it. Must-see TV. I'm not a fan of holding a strong opinion when you haven't done the homework. There's no need to read the room if the room isn't well-read, right? So this is a great starting point for understanding who... Charles Manson was, who his family was, and grappling with the horrific and devastating ripples that murder so often creates. The case isn't closed just because the cops caught the bad guy and put him in jail. That's the law. But that's not justice. Make a strong tea and check out this docuseries. Reach out to me and tell me what your takeaway is. What stood out to you? What surprised you? Did you learn anything? Let me know on social media. My pal Sammy For me my summer layer for the show, Twitter, Facebook, and IG are all my pal Sammy, and my summer layer. Thank you so much for listening to me in the Netflix world, Hollywood yo.